An application network is a way to connect applications, data, and devices through APIs that expose some or all of their assets and data to the network. That network allows other consumers from other parts of the business to come in and discover and use those assets. The company Tetrate provides the tools necessary for a highly efficient application-aware network. Tetrate helps connect and manage applications across clusters, clouds, and data centers. It supports integrating traditional workloads into your cloud-native application infrastructure, defining access control, and editing rights for teams on shared infrastructure, as well as out-of-the-box conformance with NIST standards for microservices security. In this episode, we talk to Varun Talwar, co-founder of Tetrate. Varun, welcome back. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be back. I believe this is our third show together. Is that right? I think that's right. First one, you were one of the earliest members of Istio at Google. Second one, you started Tetrate, which was a productization of Istio. Now it seems like you are kind of in the midst of product market fit. Is that accurate? That is correct. Actually, this reminds me, Jeff, I think this might be our fourth one. The very first one was on gRPC, even before Istio. Oh, no way! Oh, my God! Can I ask you... So, I I made a, a small investment in a company called Buff, which is a company productizing protocol buffers. Why did it take so long for there to be a protocol buffer company? Hard to figure out monetization. <laughs> I think. Is it? I mean, can't you just solve that problem for people? Like, solve the... Nobody had nobody knows how to use protocol buffers. Can't you just give them a WYSIWYG thing for protocol buffers? I mean, yeah, you can make some small tools and services and education company out of it, but nothing I don't know how you make a big company out of that. Just that. I mean, I think I think you just um are you sure you were on for I'm looking right now, GRPC. It was GRPC. way back. So are one, you sure you weren't on a different podcast? Yeah, so Unless your name used to be Sandeep Dinesh. No. Uh, <laughs> I think you might, be, you might be thinking, were you on SE Radio? Software Engineering Radio, maybe? Maybe, um, because I remember doing one for GR... I mean, yeah, maybe by the way, it so wasn't... GR, GRPC, GRPC, is that just like extra sauce on top of protocol buffers? I don't even remember what GRPC is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, see, protobuf is just a schema, right? Like... So gRPC is the actual methods. You put the actual RPC methods there, and then it's code gen into different libraries. So gRPC actually supported nine languages. And so you can generate code in like a whole bunch of libraries from Python to Ruby to Java to Node to so on, including actually mobile libraries like Android and iOS. So you could take them all the way to mobile. Yeah, and that's actually not many people realize that it's one of those hidden things that's basically percolating everywhere. Like everybody I talk to now is like in some form or fashion using gRPC APIs, so which is great. What was your trajectory as an engineer going from, so you were on the gRPC team at Google? Yeah, yeah. So I'm actually, I've always been a product person, not like a very hands-on engineer. So I was the PM on gRPC getting it to community and adoption and that strategy. The And then Istio was also, I was the PM on it with Louis. I think that's where we did our last, uh, the one of our podcasts. 
Oh, yeah. I love that guy. I love Louie. He's so smart. He's so razor sharp. I saw a talk he gave at, at QCon probably three or four years ago. I think it was about Istio. It was really good. It was a really good talk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or was so, it about it was about like edge networking or something? Yeah, he's very good. So is so is Sven, I think. So these were the initial people. Anyway, so my role was more a product person, both on gRPC and Istio, as well as like now, you know, Tetrate is a little bit different, but it's like the whole company. But. Okay, well, let's just fast forward. Maybe we can revisit the past a little bit later, but. Currently, you're working at Tetrate. Tetrate, I would argue, is the leading independent provider of Istio-related solutions. Why do I need an Istio? <laughs> Simple. So there are two ways to answer that question. One is a very, you know, technology values and those things. And the other is business value. The technology value is 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 fairly simple, which is... Like you, everyone's running in Kubernetes these days. You start to have deploy more and more services. You start to deploy them more rapidly. And you realize I need to understand my performance of how these services are doing at an L7 layer. And you realize, oh, that's not out of the box in Kubernetes. Like I need something. You then start to realize I have so much cross-service communication and data going back and forth. It's everybody's now starting to do more and more clusters. You start crossing cluster boundaries and network boundaries. And then like, oh, shoot, this is not encrypted. And then you say, okay, what will it take to actually do it? It's like, that's a lot of work. So I need something. And then a lot of people know in Kubernetes, like proxy is not the best thing in the world in terms of like um, traffic routing. So, and you know, the more important services you start to deploy on Kubernetes, like I need to really control, you know, how traffic release happens or application delivery happens rather than application deployment. Like I can deploy with all the automation, but how do I actually release it Which with, with canaries and those kind of strategies? And that's another reason why people pick it up. At the end of the day, on the business side, it, it boils down to agility, like not doing you know, not having each of your developers code up for it. Uh, it boils down to security isolation because of what I just said, like auth- uh, authentication, authorization between services. And it boils down to, you know, business continuity, which is like I do routing in a way that, you know, if one cluster, one region, something is down, I don't have downtimes. And so at a business level, it gets to that. There was an equivalent to Istio within Google before Istio, right? That is right. The name was what was that? The what name was, that was one platform. One platform was the team equivalent of. So there was equivalent to gRPC was called Stubby. Equivalent to Istio was closest equivalent. I would say is something called one platform, wherein. Essentially, when a new team in Google comes up, what they decide is we will make it a one-platform service. And what that means is I will define what are the parameters I need for that service in terms of authentication, coda, and load balancing. And all. I, I define like what I want for it, and I submit it somewhere in one place. Someone reviews it, and that's it. 
After that, I don't think about all those parameters and it just happens. So that's was kind of the team from where, and that team owned all of the APIs for, for you know, star.googleapis.com would all flow through an architecture like Istio, which was initially uh, a monolith API proxy, like one big thing. And it over seven years became this distributed uh, proxy model, which came to be known as one platform. And Istio came from that. How does the internal one platform thing compare to Istio? So it's similar, but it's the two or three key differences, right? One is it was using um, a homegrown proxy, like a homegrown sort of data plane, which was at the time like a whole bunch of extensions and customizations on Nginx. The second thing is it was using a lot of the backends that Google had, like, and that part is similar to Istio, which is like we have a big quota service, we have a big rate limiting service, and you basically can have leverage those. So out in the world, people don't have those like just readily available. So we get a lot of questions on like how to do that. The third piece, which is uh, sort of the flip, which is there in Istio, but wasn't really a focus in one platform because it was covered in the infrastructure sort of plane in, in Google, is this whole identity and encryption. So Google had this project called LOAS, a low overhead authentication scheme, which was this notion of every workload has running up, coming up on a machine has has a unique identity. So, and that's, that's a new concept for most people outside these internet companies. And that was sort of brought forward by Istio and is actually one of the biggest reasons people want to adopt Istio. Like end-to-end encryption is hard especially if you have more number of services, especially if you have distributed services. It is a really, really long and hard process. Right, so, you, so you're ultimately like a zero-trust company. Yeah, we are enabling zero-trust. In fact, a lot of the marketing messaging has started to go towards that. Zero-trust is a very big umbrella, so we are definitely a big part of zero-trust when it comes to application traffic. And we are actually the, the leading company in zero-trust in some sense, we have actually been driving with NIST. NIST is like this, the birthplace of all security in the US and globally, I would argue. And we've been doing like zero trust conferences with NIST and Tetrate for last two years. You know, some people have taken notice, some haven't yet. Uh, more are noticing now. Uh, we get a lot of people now, by the way, hey, we saw this and we want to talk to you about zero trust. Like that, that happens all the time now in Tetrate. So yes, it is. We are very much a key key layer for zero trust. Just to be clear, what I think is interesting about Istio is it's basically representative of a dividend that you get when the world standardizes on a distributed systems infrastructure layer, which is Kubernetes, right? You can't really have Istio without Kubernetes. You can... You could do Istio across like VMs, right? But it's a terrible experience, I assume. It's not nearly as good as if you're just standardizing on Kubernetes infrastructure. So yes, in without making it a 
a sales pitch, but I would say in, in, in Tetrate, we have made VM a first class experience. And it is, according to me, and it was one of those core tenets of even starting Tetrate that something like Istio is needed in all computes, not just Kubernetes. Less than how, what percentage of world's production workloads runs Kubernetes today? Like, I would say less than 10%. Maybe even that is a very aggressive estimate. So, and don't you need zero trust on all the like other, or don't you need like L7 observability and all the other things? You absolutely do. So, making workloads running on EC2s and auto scaling EC2 groups is actually should be a first class thing onto a mesh and and that's something we actively provide in some of our solutions. So let me ask you this. When Istio first came out, I was um, pretty good friends with the Linkerd folks and I still am. The the project that started off as the what was the the initial messaging was sort of like a network proxy thing and then and then they followed along with the service mesh narrative. And then when, when Istio came out, the Linkerd folks sort of said, hey, look, this is kind of unfair because Google is tipping the scales of the CNCF and showing favoritism towards Istio. Uh, even though Linkerd, w- let's see, I think Linkerd was a core CNCF project, right? So Linkerd was there, Istio comes out and basically steals the market through marketing. And it was sort of unfair because it was evidence that Google can tip the scales of the CNCF and basically win any kind of marketing competition that they want to. They can outspend everybody. They can do anything that they want. It doesn't matter that Linkerd was arguably better technology. True or false? So even today, Istio is not a CNCF project. I don't know how many people know that, but that's fact as of even today. Well, okay, come on. So so maybe like officially it's not a CNCF project, but that makes it all the more convincing. Yeah, yeah. So what is absolutely true is that Google has a bigger marketing machinery. That is obviously true. I think in Istio's case, it was Google and the ecosystem that came together with it. So the Red Hat, IBM, you know, Pivotal, Everybody basically jumped on that right from the beginning. So when you get, it's like, you know, the ecosystem is always greater than any one player. And even though, so two things happened, I think, there in in your question. One is there was this expectation that Istio would come to CNCF and hence uh, CNCF was helping sort of promote and they themselves are a good marketing machinery. And second is was the ecosystem effect that when you have all these giants who all have, you know, decent reach, it spread way faster than what, you know, one company, one vendor like Buoyant could do for one Linkerd, uh, or even CNCF with Linkerd could do alone. And I think to even to date, sometimes I think like Istio got marketing visibility way sooner than it was technical maturity was there but well now that now we are way behind that right it's now it's very mature and so on but 
that definitely did happen yeah give me more color on that like is it okay that google was able to basically by fiat win the service mesh wars see ultimately what wins is um, what people believe is is right for them and what gets adopted more widely and i'll go you can look at even go back to kubernetes like we had mesos which is which runs some of the largest container workloads even today we had nomad from hashi a few years i think it was about it was already there or it came out a few years after so it wasn't that it isn't that like mesos wasn't good tech it was awesome tech but sit so now in 2021 like you know who the winner is <laughs> so yes there is definitely a there's a combination of factors here right there is there is marketing there is trust and that people associate with certain brands there is trust that people associate that this there'll be continued investment in that you know no matter what so i can bet my infrastructure on it and of course there is good you know you have to have a good tech and product and technology that's usable right so that's a given otherwise not that's like baseline so i think even in istio's case it was definitely had like feature richness i mean even today you look at any comparison like istio would ding like most other options on on feature richness of what you need right so definitely the product technology and feature richness is there in fact i we know i know a lot of people who end up choosing istio for like hey the other guys don't like don't have like what i need but but that but that comes after after the marketing dominance comes right so so in in, in the, istio's the, the case ne- the network like the first the first battle to win is the network effects yeah so in istio's case it was um, one sort of both were running in parallel right and there was not enough alternative options and even now there aren't which take the marketing effect and the technology speed and adopt uh, feature richness is just not there in other uh, options out there even though i mean to william and oliver's credit and linkedin boyant's credit they were the ones who actually came up with the term service mesh i remember i think the very early on the positioning was like rpc proxy or something like way before when the term was not yet coined so they're definitely you know thought leaders there and linkedin is an awesome project for their ease of use and simplicity but you know when it gets to production infrastructure for your traffic it is going to get i want to say it will be a little bit complex if you want it to have all the firepower that you need and it will require the bells and whistles that for it to get wider adoption so it's something that with maturity is going to happen and frankly istio was like the most advanced with the loudest you know mouthpiece in 20 you know starting all the way from 2017 so sort of trailblazed well, that well hold on hold that. on so so in 2017 you said the most advanced and the loudest wasn't it only the loudest it wasn't actually the most advanced when it came out right like linkerd was more advanced at first actually it, 
it wasn't. So well, I mean, it was debatable, right? Because Linkerd actually worked. Istio was more of a reference implementation. No, no, no. Istio zero dot one, which was in May of twenty seventeen at GlueCon when we launched it. Even in zero dot one, and I wrote that blog post. You can go. <laughs> I still remember. It's somewhere there out there. Is still had like MTLS and end-to-end encryption, which wasn't there at all in Linkerd even at that time and even for years to come. And that was by far the most sought after by customers. So it's absolutely not true that, you know, Istio was vaporware and it just won because of marketing. That's not true, at least in my mind. And yes, absolutely, you know, marketing and ecosystem had a big play in its sort of how it dominated Mindshare. And that is absolutely a, you know, a benefit you get from getting large mouthpieces together to capture mindshare. No, no, no question there. But, but uh, so I always heard, you know, in back in 2017, this thing was impossible to build. It was impossible to run, impossible to compile, impossible to manage, you know, and then you had people like Monzo saying, hey, we're doing Linkerd in production. Nobody's doing Istio in production. That's what I remember about 2017. Yeah, so the projection, the sort of the journey that Istio has gone through, 2017 was like the beginning. Like it it works in single cluster Kubernetes environment. And I think up until 08 or 09, which was almost in, towards early 18 is when you started seeing like a bunch of production adoption and the adoption just took off from there right like once the did it have teething issues yeah of course did it fix the teething issues yes it did did adoption take off like crazy after that absolutely it did i think today it's i mean even in 2018 it was ahead of Linkerd and other options in adoption. And it has been since, like you have to question, you have to think of it as a customer and see, okay, I hear all this, but I'm still going to use it. Why? Right? There is, there's a reason why people like end customer doesn't give a, you know, doesn't care in, like, about the marketing noise. Like they want to adopt what is good for them. And why would they, if it were, not meeting their needs or if it were like completely vaporware and that's not true right so so there is so like every product like comparison there is like what is right for my use case what do i what am i looking for and you make your choice i think for if you just want kubernetes you just want a simple starting experience i don't need too much of bells and whistles people do end up choosing linkerd but again, there is you're making a very conscious choice. I'm going for a data plane, which is going to be, which is backed by, you know, one or two companies, and I'm going to depend all my traffic on it. You're making that choice, which is fine. Remember, a lot of the Istio adoption was also because of Envoy, and Envoy already had an ecosystem around it, and a huge pull for Envoy and the community strength behind it. And, and if you were running a company, let's say, you you know, where you have thousands of services that people depend on, your business depends on, and, and you're going to put something which all your 
something that takes all your traffic like where would you make your bet right that and that's that's a decision that end users have to make today and there are trade offs like any decision but people are making their people are making their choices agreed they definitely are and to me it seems like basically service mesh as it was defined in 2017 was a winner take all market and because it was defined by network effects and because of that it appears that linkerd was basically forced to become more like a service observability company of some kind like they've kind of had to move into you know how do we repurpose our agent which is fine i mean i i really like what the um uh, what the Buoyant team is building. I think it's like very, very competitive. They basically have the best open source service observability, service um, machinery, developer experience, networking platform, you might say. Or it's like a hipster. It's like when I look at like what, uh, you know, what you're doing with Tetrate, it's like fantastic. Like it looks like very, very good enterprise software. I think what Buoyant has done is also looks, looks very credible as a, uh, you know, as, as it looks, and I say this with, with, um, with all admiration, they're more of, they look like more of a hipster developer company, which is, which is great. And it's very on brand for William, but I will say what disturbs me about this war is the same thing that disturbs me about the Kubernetes war, which is effectively, it was not won because of superior technology, despite the fact that maybe the technology was superior, I don't think we know yet. This was won by marketing. And like the reason you know that is because nobody ever talks about HashiCorp Nomad. Do you know anything about HashiCorp Nomad? Yeah, I mean, I know a little because I'm in the space, but yeah, I would agree most people don't. How does HashiCorp Nomad compare to Kubernetes? Yeah, it's actually a decent product. And I've seen the last six months or so at least a couple of write-ups of end customers actually making a choice for Nomad rather than Kubernetes. And there is that. Like, I, I, don't, I don't claim to have actually tried it. Uh, I only, like, read articles about it. So I'm not deep into it. But your point is, 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 is well taken, right? Which is there is absolutely an influence of marketing on adoption, an adoption curve. And, you know, it's one of, in these new technology areas, it's like, it's a virtuous cycle, right? Like you, 10 people adopt and then the next 10 look at who is adopting and then they adopt and that sort of, the cycle grows. So, I mean, this is a proven thing in the world. It's not always the, you know, best technology is one part of what it takes to win, not the only thing. And by the way, this is not like a critique of you or a critique of open source. It's basically an observation. And I think it's about time we move our sophistication level around what open source is to a better place. Because right now, open source has become connected to purity or virtue. And in actuality, open source is this super broad definition that we can't even agree on. I agree. I agree. And and the view of open source from people building to an end user who is adopting and why they are adopting open source as opposed to like, you know, what, you know, 10 other commercial things they could adopt. I think there is not enough representation of 
end user views into what open source is what how it should evolve and actually making them involved in the building process itself and it's not great that we have uh, we have we make it difficult for end users to be part of it uh, and to give you an example of like the the last one like we see a lot of customers where like oh i have this problem in kubernetes like what do you do it's like oh i file a ticket to red hat like it's it's even though you know like like what is to be done in the open source quote-unquote open source project that's how you operate and i think i'm actually deliberately and very intentionally trying to break this wall of like you know tech savvy we will release the best open source technology to like I'm a investment bank CIO who wants something that is supported with a no uh, with a neck that I can choke like how do you like that's a reality today <laughs> like how do you merge the two worlds into something that becomes better right and we are doing some small steps in that direction as as a small company tetrit can which is like the way we engage is we we would make the end users part of the community make them to be contributors make them as self-serve and self-reliant as we can because it's better for them better for us better for community it's better for all of us but you know not every company and things like that but if you take it meta to like what's not working well in open source that that's my observation what else isn't working well in open source how things are governed and driven in terms of direction again it boils down to what the goals of the open source project are like so many people ask me like whether should oh should you should be open source this should we not open source this like it comes like every month someone asks me for that and it it boils down to like what is your goal like are you are you trying to make a contributor community are you trying to get the widest end user adoption what is your goal out of this I, like it it all sort of boils down to that when you look at it from the creator standpoint and i think people miss like people think like oh, i'll just open source this and this will go <laughs> like everybody will adopt it like just because it's out there on github it doesn't happen right so you have to have a very very intentional approach to what is my goal hence what strategy i should take hence where do i build community how do i build community how do i get end users involved how do i define direction for it how is direction even validated like so much is there's so much nuances to that that i don't think that's well understood by a large majority today and if you ask me like actually for end users it's open source is is the least risky thing to do and you know open source companies and general notion is that it's you know it's hard to monetize and things are free and i actually have a completely like different sort of approach to that which is open source is more valuable than commercial and closed source people should be paying more than closed source for op- for open project because you're actually buying the creativity and work of thousands of people who don't directly work for you you are de-risking significantly because tomorrow you everything is visible to you you can pick it up take it on and run it yourself it's all out there so it's more valuable than than less it's just that that realization is not there yet in uh, both in vendors and in end users i think some of the savvy ones have it but not many 
Let's talk a little bit about go-to-market before we wrap up. So we've talked barely any about it, really nuts and bolts engineering. My guess is that over the last, uh, you know, how long have you been doing Tetrate at this point? Four years? Three years? Three years. Three years. Actually, let me just ask you, like, kind of as a founder, what's the hardest part been? Hiring. <laughs> Hiring. Yeah. You should, uh, not to plug myself slash try to sell you stuff, you should try to hire through Software Engineering Daily. Yeah, maybe we should. Maybe we should. You, I think- you seriously should. We reach a lot of engineers that like Kubernetes. Right, and right. you're pro- you're probably one of the highest upside Kubernetes related companies that one could join. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean should. you're basic. What do you what do you like the Cisco of the cloud native world or something? What, what's the best marketing messaging we can provide? Probably not this. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> you, you tell me. You're like the Linksys of of software or something. Yeah, you're the the most dumbed down one. Of someone who doesn't like is not into all this at all, is like Cisco was all about connecting machines, and we are all about connecting services. So, I think people and applications. So, then people understand that that uh, at the very like if you have to explain to a really uh, young kid or something, right? So, yeah, no, I mean from a higher back to your question on challenge, I think. Hiring is not just a challenge on the engineering side. I think we we're relatively okay there, but also on the on the go to market and the non engineering side. Uh, but across the board, I think the, as as a as a founder, like it's all about like getting the best people on the boat and then putting them onto the right chairs. I, I think that that is uh, the biggest challenge. How do you hire these days? Like everybody who's so good, everybody who's good can start a company. You know, everybody who's good can start a company. I feel. Have you read that book, The Alliance, by Reid Hoffman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have that actually. I love that book. That's like my favorite book about how to run a company. I think it's super smart. It's kind of how hiring works in the real world, which is all through network. At least to some scale, it runs that way, and then you have the. You have the brand domino effect and you you get the size that, you know, you'll get the pull. And we are actually starting to see some of that already, even though we are not that big yet. But like three, when we were just starting, it was like, oh, like you have to work on, you know, each and every person to like, who are you and all of that. And now with, you know, you get a lot of pull in of like people want to join. And as you grow, that pull increases and as you hire more good people, they know more good people. And, you know, you have broader, bigger investor advisor circle to tap onto. So that's kind of how over time, you know, hiring gets simpler. But it's attracting talent is, is only one part of it. It's onboarding them, making them effective, keeping them motivated and growth with growth. That That's that's the key part and we are a fully distributed company i think i think you and i have talked about this before but we are like in all over the world fully like we take distributed systems seriously <laughs> we are totally distributed from the from the get go even pre covid we are in like 13 countries 15 locations our philosophy is like best talent is anywhere in the world anywhere you are in any part of the world we 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 will if you're good you're passionate 
about this we can you can come join tetrate is the mantra and that's it's phenomenally powerful if you can make the company coordination and processes work are you going to kubecon la yeah i will dude we should do a show there i'm gonna bring some mics and stuff <laughs> okay let's yeah, I mean, I I'm, I was actually surprised it's like all in person and everything happening in October. Dude, I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be so nice. Yeah, no, I mean, everyone's looking forward to it, getting back in person. I just, part of me is like, I just hope it's all safe and nothing. No sec- Do you know what my favorite uh, distributed systems paper is? No idea. Bayou. Did you ever read Bayou, the Bayou paper? Bayou. So Bayou basically looks at spreading information like uh, like you would spread a virus. It's kind of like a eventually consistent um, database database information spreading. And yeah, I mean that's kind of what we're doing in open source. It's kind of what we're doing with COVID. <laughs> um, you know, you just got to live that Bayou life. That's interesting how you put this together. No, I actually have. How do you spell that? Bayou. B B A Y O U. B A. It's like a like a like a swampy area. I see. Yeah, managing update. It's a. Uh, I see. Looks like a. Is it like a? Doesn't look like a recent thing. It looks like a. It's pretty old. So, by the way, this is the. Did you you say computer science, right? Yeah. In college. Yep. Did you take any distributed systems courses? Yes, distributed systems and AI and compiler courses. Yeah, it took like a whole bunch of. I, I I've talked about this on on the show several times, but I almost failed uh, computer science because I could I I could barely pass the distributed systems course. I had to basically cheat on all my assignments because I couldn't complete them. They were just too hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I remember. Uh, I think I'm beyond the. I think I'm beyond the statute of limitations. I don't think they can. They can. They can revoke my degree anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, I. I remember my was like a big, design a compiler project, which was like, at that time, like, a hard thing for, to finish and accomplish. Yeah, but uh, I, I don't know if you remember. At that time, there was this, there was this language. Pa- parallel programming was a thing at that time. I mean, it still is, I guess. Um, we used to, uh, there was a language called Silk for parallel programming, which we were, I, I did a course on that, which was super interesting. But yeah, let's just say we're in a, I'm, I'm in a completely different seat now and thinking about you know how to grow the company. <laughs> you barely have a, enough time to go into like technology depths. And it's crazy, like what it takes to, you asked the question, like, why don't everybody start companies? Like, what it takes to scale and build a company is, like, is, is so multifaceted. And it takes, you know, people t- say it takes a village to raise kids. I say it takes, like, city to to raise a company. So, yeah, it's very interesting and challenging and exciting at the same time. How old are you, by the way? Just turned 40. You just turned 40, okay. Let me ask you, why didn't you start a company earlier? Not enough courage, I think. Because it's it's not really it's not really about intellect, right? It's it is more about that courage. I yeah, think. it's 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 all about courage and your internal sort of confidence behind that 
idea which only comes from experience right like you can have all the intellect at 25 but you won't have the confidence that i can i i know all the aspects of a business and uh, i know i can get into legal contracts i can do biz dev i can i can oversee financial statements i can negotiate with investors i can find negotiate with partners i can sell to customer <laughs> like you won't have the confidence that i can do that at 25 <laughs> so you will basically you know go into i need help everywhere kind of zone All right. Well, uh, at KubeCon, I guess we can talk about like software and stuff. <laughs> yeah. 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 Today we ended up talking a lot more about like other stuff, but yeah, we can Dude, go what, into... What is going on with this background? What is this? This is like the Tetrate Bar and Grill? Yeah, this is like the... Is that the eventual goal? Like sort of like how uh, like Amazon finally has the, the physical bookstore. You're just going to try to have Tetrate Bar and Grill eventually? <laughs> It's a good one, actually. For, for a distributed company to like, hey, we'll one day we'll have this physical bar and grill. No, this is like, you know, in, in today's times, the best way to do branding and marketing is Zoom backgrounds. And uh, second, I think this is the first Starbucks in the US, in uh, Seattle. So it's, you know, we are all in this, I, I think someday have this Tetrate cafes going. We have a bunch of like Zoom backgrounds, which are about different styles of Tetrate cafes. They're all I think cafes and bars is something that veterans like to do, I guess. <laughs> It's cool. I like let me I'll show you my uh, my most recent uh, temporary background. By the way, do you trust Zoom? Like it seems kind of like sketchy, right? I mean, on what? in all honesty. What's that? Uh, trust Zoom on what? Like the whole thing where they like were like spinning up servers and stuff oh, and like yeah. I think they've fixed that now, right? Oh, what is that? Uh It's voting machines. Voting machines. It's, it's voting machines background. I, I'm going to interview a guy about voting machines. Uh, <laughs> this doesn't work as a virtual background. What's going on here? <laughs> Come on, Zoom. Get get your get your image. Get your uh, what is this problem called? Like occlusion detection or something? Get your bounding boxes right here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This doesn't look like a well created image. What are you doing with voting machines? Well, I want to do a show. We're going to do a show about voting machines. Who introduced me about voting machines? Jonathan Ellis from Datastax introduced me to somebody about uh, voting machines. Dude, I think I'm going to be. I think I'm going to be creeped out when I do when I do a show on voting machines. I went to DefCon recently, and I I was brought to tears by a hacker. And now I'm pretty sure voting machines are going to terrify me even further. But I have to start reporting on security because it's like it's it's freaking me out, man. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a topic we should speak about at KubeCon. There's like so much. I'm sure you must know a lot about this. There's an in- super interesting things happening there now, and there is a real. It's like real top of mind for people to talk about, especially in. I don't know if you've been following, you know, federal space and Biden's executive order. Like, it's it's top of mind in all like Fed world, like everywhere. Is it right in the infrastructure bill? Is there a bunch of stuff about about uh, cybersecurity? Yeah, his executive order basically said that people should have a plan for zero trust by this date, and like every everyone is scrambling to put it in. Anyway, well, I'll see you at KubeCon. I'm sure we both have stuff to do at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We both do. No, this is fun. Let's do let's do a proper security one at KubeCon. Listen, man, great to see you, and and it's gonna be great to see you at KubeCon. Can't wait. Yeah, awesome. Good to talk to you, Jeff. As always. Hey,